From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Critically analyzing national affairs, this is State of the Nation with Steve Hook and Brian McLean on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, Hour 2, State of the Nation. We are launching it right now live with you right here at TNT. Today's News Talk. I'm Brian McLean broadcasting live out of Central Texas. I'm here with Steve Hook. Steve, um, uh, that first hour just flies by every time, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, man. You're not kidding. Really is a funny little trick God plays with you. The older you get, the quicker time goes. Kind of wish it would go the other way sometimes. But yeah, that first hour always zips by. But it was a big one. It was a good one. It certainly was. I really enjoyed uh, speaking with uh, the CEO of the wellness company there. All our guests, really great. So if you're just tuning in, you can find that at our website, tntradio.live. Go to the episodes link. That's where anything you may have missed 24-7 will be sitting for your your viewing and listening pleasure. Now, um, Steve, we spoke with Wayne Allen Root recently. And, you know, um, that was sort of uh, what kicked off our recent stint of talking about Michelle, the potential Michelle Obama and Gavin Newsom ticket and all that. Um, But, you know, yesterday we were talking about the Supreme Court and the Texas decision. And uh, our friend Wayne, well, he had some interesting things to say about it. He penned this article. I say out loud what others only whisper. Is there any patriot in America who isn't thinking Supreme Court justices are being bribed or blackmailed. That's pretty big right there. You know, um, he he goes on to speak about what happened. He says, come on, admit it. You know you're thinking the same thing. It's obvious. It's just common sense. Anyone who isn't at least wondering is a naive fool. He goes on to say, I grew up in an all-Italian mafia neighborhood in New York. I know when the fix is in. I know when someone has taken a bribe. I know when the mafia gets their hooks into someone and something is wrong with our United States Supreme Court. Something smells to high heaven. Something is hinky. Someone is being bribed, threatened, intimidated, or extorted. This just isn't normal. It makes no sense. Conservatives have the edge, not just five to four, but a safe, overwhelming three to six edge. We should be winning every major Supreme Court case. Supreme Court case, and yet we keep losing with the most obvious, clear-cut life or death of America cases, cases that should be slam dunks. And he said, yet our 6-3 to edge at the Supreme Court became a 5-4 to loss in the most obvious, simple, clear-cut case in history. Again, just like Obamacare, twice. Just like allowing illegal aliens to count in the U.S. Census that determines who represents us in Congress. Absolutely amazing. He says, uh, to, with regards to Justice um, John Roberts and Justice Amy Coney Barrett, he says, Amy Coney Barrett was one of the recent Trump appointments recommended to, um, to President Trump by the fantastic pro-Constitution Federalist Society. How is this possible? There is not one conservative or patriot in all of America who would have voted this way. So how do two supposedly conservative justices stab America in the back and vote against states' rights? So that's his opinion. He thinks that um, there's bribery going and rat fink traitors involved. So um, pretty, pretty stark words from Wayne Allen Root there, Steve. 
Well, we'd expect nothing less from Wayne Allen Root. That's for sure. That's but that said, that said, uh, you know, my bigger question is really more for Amy Coney Barrett than it is for John Roberts. John Roberts is a uh, is a guy that uh, will never miss a uh, important cocktail party inside the Beltway. I suspect uh, there was also, you may recall, Hesh, uh, when uh, Roberts essentially rewrote Obamacare on the fly uh, from the bench. Uh, and said, okay, no, it's going to be a tax. And everybody's like, what? He's rewriting the entire structure, the the way this thing gets funded. And not even not even the Obama administration was willing to go there because they knew that if they said it's a tax, it's a political loss. So Roberts did it for him. And then there were some, uh, some again, it was a little bit fringe. I mean, I want to be clear here, but there was a little bit of scuttlebutt going back and forth about what do they have on Roberts? Could it have something to do with his adopted kids? Could they have something on him that they're saying, if you vote this way, we're going to crush you. And Wayne Allen Root is tapping into that all over again. Um, So I don't know what to believe. I do know that it certainly isn't a very uh, uh, conservative ruling that we got uh, from Barrett and, and Roberts. So what explains it? Boy, man, your guess is as good as mine, but I'm sure that the uh, residents uh, around the border areas in Texas are absolutely fit to be tied with that ruling. The good news, I suppose, if you're going to look for the silver lining, is it's only a temporary thing. But, I mean, if this is them kind of showing their ankle on how they're going to rule on it later, um, maybe that doesn't matter. I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I'll wrap by uh, just reading this last bit from him here in his article. It's like two conservative judges just voted for national suicide. Think about it. These two justices just voted for letting in all the world's criminals to murder us, all the world's armies to conquer us, all the world's third world poverty and misery to bankrupt us, all the world's disease, all the world's pedophilia and child sex trafficking, all the world's drugs, all the world's fentanyl to keep killing over a hundred thousand of our American children annually. Those are strong words. We're going to see yeah. if we can get Wayne to come on and uh, you know, back them up for us. You know, Hesher, I would only just say this: uh, Wayne has been known to be a little bit hyperbolic at times, but I don't think he's necessarily wrong on this. Even President Trump said, "I saw him today. He stopped by a." Uh, polling station in new hampshire and he did a quick little stand-up with uh fox news and some other reporters that were there and he basically made the case look if you're a leader of a third world country or a country that is kind of ass backwards and you want to unload all of your people from mental institutions and hospitals what better time to do it than right now when they're going to get the red carpet treatment at the southern border and that's essentially what wayne allen root is saying and i don't think he's wrong so it's yeah. scary. Yeah. As a reminder, for all the latest community events, rallies, marches, festivals, and fundraisers happening near you, all you got to do is visit the TNT What's On Events calendar at the website, tntradio.live, and stay in touch on TNT. Be a part of the conversation. I want representation I can trust. Have your say. Biden isn't doing enough. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. Uh, building on what we were just saying, um, and also the idea of a Michelle Obama and Gavin Newsom ticket to drop in with a bit of a combat landing in March and declare a run for the presidential uh, Democrat candidacy, 
Joel Gilbert wrote a book about this and did a documentary. He's been telling me on his appearances since 2022 that this would happen. And as odious and detrimental to America as this may sound, this concept has now found its way into the independent media streams and is starting to show in the mass media cartel tea leaves. Uh, just today, uh, Colin Leinbarger at a Gateway Pundit penned an article called Michelle Obama's Secret Plan to Replace Joe Biden for President Emerges, echoing this idea and showing some evidence indicating it is very possible. Joining us now to discuss is the host of the Bold and Blunt podcast and the author of Lockdown, The Socialist Plan to Take Away Your Freedom, Cheryl Chumley, rejoining us right here on State of the Nation. Cheryl, welcome back. Now, now that this is a concept uh, being taken slightly more seriously, perhaps, what's your opinion? Will Joe Biden get replaced with a much more marketable Michelle Obama by the DNC? I saw you and our colleague Steve Malsberg talking about this, and you said if this happens, America should fear because she could drive up African-American votes, which are you know slowly falling out of the grip of the DNC. And there's also that first woman vote for independence that might be important. What do you think about this? Well, thank you guys for having me back. It's always great to chat with you. And look, uh, to, to go to your second question first, sort of what a Michelle Obama presidency or campaign would look like, I do think that she is the one candidate that the Democrats could run who would really give Donald Trump a run for the money, because not only would you get the black vote, not only would you get the women vote, but you would get a lot of those independents or the conservatives out there who do not like Donald Trump, but want to jump on the bandwagon to, to vote for the first woman president in American history. So I think that would be very uh, a very big challenge for Donald Trump to overcome, not to mention the funding that would flow into her campaign. Now, do I think that she's going to replace Joe Biden? I'm one of those few conservatives out there who still think that Joe Biden is the pick for the Democrat Party. There are a lot of Democrats who don't want him to be. But look, he's perfect for the Democrats. He's just the puppet who can't think on his own that pushes the Obama policies in place anyhow with no accountability. So I think as long as he can stand with help from his aides and his wife, that he will be the candidate. Well, I, I, hey, Cheryl, it's great to see you. Hey. Okay, so let's 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 kind of war game that out. So he stays as the candidate, um, and let's just hypothetically say he uh, he wins the nomination. He's running for the general. There's not a poll around right now that shows him ahead of Trump, and I don't see it getting any better for him. Uh, it's not like he's going to all of a sudden cognitively be with it. Um, and you know, you, even you mentioned it, as long as he can be propped up. Um, so I guess the question is, uh, there's a fear factor that, okay, so he does run, maybe he wins again, but then he bags out and leaves us with Kamala. I mean, I, I the Democrats have really got themselves in a ringer here because they've got a president that is, is I mean, as, as Hesher alluded to, is just hemorrhaging black votes. And you've got a black female vice president that's going to garner none of those votes back. So it's Michelle Obama or it's Oprah Winfrey or it's bust, it sounds like. <laughs> or, or Gavin Newsom. <laughs> or Gavin but, Newsom. Yeah. The, yeah. The, you know, so wh where do we go from there? 
So let me just talk for a second about the polls, right? Because yes, all the polls show that Joe Biden is floundering and failing and that Donald Trump in most polls would beat him in a in a face in a face off. But this is primary season, so people aren't looking ahead that far in the first place. And second off, a lot can change between now and the general, right? When it comes down to the two candidates being selected, that there are plenty of people who do not want Joe Biden to be the Democrat pick who will vote for him when he is the Democrat pick because the option, the alternative will be Donald Trump. So you have to look at the difference between primary season versus general election season. And I think that's where Biden will pick up a lot more support. Yeah. So so then do you think that this is an active plan, sort of the DNC hedging bets, perhaps? Um, you know, I use the term combat landing a lot, but that's what that would insinuate. Something has gone wrong. Joe Biden has actually choked on his ice cream or gotten COVID or, you know, what, <laughs> fallen off his bicycle, Again. whatever might happen. <laughs> Is this sort of the fallback plan, perhaps? <laughs> so, a bike injury. That's a very real thing with him, right? So, so I, I do not doubt that there are some planners in the DNC, in the Democrat Party, who are looking for ways to undercut Joe Biden and bring in another candidate. I just don't see at this point in time that it's actually going to go forth because, again, Joe Biden is just the perfect candidate for the Democrat Party. He's just the, the mouthpiece, the guy they throw out there on stage for a couple of minutes to stand up and make a case for the globalist policies the Democrats stand for these days and then to shuffle off. And, you know, the big question when he speaks is, will he go off on the right side of the stage or will he have to be, you know, Joe over here, over here? So you have to remember, too, he ran his campaign from the basement, largely from the basement. The media carried his water. There were lockdowns in place and things were up in air. And I don't see that those same type of models couldn't be put in place to give him the extra push he needs to actually run for president this time around as well. Yeah, maybe that's why we're hearing so much about disease X from the folks in Davos. Right. Um, you know, I mean, that's a scary proposition. Let's just say that he does run. He does win. What's to keep him from saying after a year in office, you know, on the advice of my wife, the, the good doctor uh, and my medical team, I've decided to vacate the office uh, and hand it off to either Kamala or maybe maybe do a side deal behind behind closed doors. Kamala, we're going to set you uh, set you up in SCOTUS and we're going to we're going to wheel in Michelle Obama. Do you think that's a possibility? Well, definitely. I, I would say that nothing could prevent that from happening if Joe Biden were to win a second term. Uh, and and I do see that he would have difficulty even in his, uh, you know, incapacitated, incapacitated state now, how he rolls around. I, I would I would see it very difficult for him to do that for another four years. So I, that would be a very real possibility that we he would back off and not finish a, a second term due to medical reasons. And that is when, you know, another candidate could step up and make the play. So hopefully Republicans will make the case of Joe Biden's fecklessness and his medical issues and talk about such scenarios actually happening. And that will awaken voters to the real uh, potential of a second Joe Biden administration being even more devastating than we already know it will be. Yeah. Wow. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. And uh, Cheryl, 
We always have fun when you're here. CK Chumley on X.com, the Bold and Blunt podcast. And of course, pick up her book, Lockdown, The Socialist Plan to Take Away Your Freedom. Keep it on the coffee table all year long because according to the Davos ghouls, disease X is on the way. Insert variable here, insert PCR test here insert globalist lockdowns here no thank you we say no thanks right here at state of the nation with cheryl chumley we'll do it again real soon cheryl thank you for everything you do you're amazing this is state of the nation on today's news talk tnt tnt's mark morano this just in we have a new way that's proven effective in dealing with climate protesters who deign to block highways streets and other public areas Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this appears to be the most effective way. We have a uh, we have a field shot, a correspondent on the scene. Let's go to clip four and take a look at how to deal with climate protesters when they block your way on your morning commute. I don't want to see protests shut down. But obviously, when you're blocking traffic and you're doing that, you need to be dealt with. I thought this was a great vigilante way of dealing with it. Mark Morano on today's News Talk TNT. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans, that's real. That's substantive. That's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to TNTradio.live. The conversation continues. I don't believe it, and I think that's a terrible position that I am in, that I don't trust my government. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, you're watching State of the Nation. Yesterday, you may recall that we touched on the White House's directive uh, on avoiding any religious symbolism when it comes to the annual Easter festivities that take place at the White House in April. Never mind the fact that Easter is the holiest of all Christian holidays. Now, while this may seem like an insignificant story, and I get it, it's actually just one more facet in the federal government's uh, stifling of religious freedom, and it's another slap at our First Amendment rights. We've seen Christian schools attacked, Christian charities attacked, Catholic pro-life groups attacked and surveilled. All of these uh, groups have been targeted by Biden's DOJ and other three-letter agencies. Here to discuss this blatant attack on people of faith is President and CEO of the National Religious Broadcasters, Troy Miller. Troy, welcome back to State of the Nation. It's so good to have you, sir. How are you? I'm doing great today, guys. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you back. Now, we did a story yesterday, and it seemed like an insignificant kind of just a funny anecdote about how uh, the White House is tell is it, every year, apparently, when they do this Easter egg dying stuff at the White House, they do a theme. And this year's theme was uh, respecting our military families. And they invited a whole bunch of military families, kids, to die Easter eggs. And then they sent out a directive saying, oh, by the way, avoid any religious imagery. No crosses, no Jesus loves you, none of that. No, no pictures of, a, of the tomb with the stone rolled away. None of that. Just Easter bunnies and cottontails and all that kind of garbage. That's fine. But, and as insignificant as that story may seem, it's really kind of symbolic of, of how this 
administration and how this federal government is attacking Christians, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, and I, I'm a look, I'm a veteran and, and I know military families and military families. There's a lot of folks in the military that are Christians that, that celebrate and know the purpose of Easter. Easter is to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not to celebrate bunnies and eggs. We do all of that. And that's good. But even those, if you look back, have their Christian symbol symbology to them. So this government just continues. It, it, you said it's symbolic of it's not really symbolic. This is their active kind of really hostility towards Christianity um, that we see in all the departments. Now it's just directly out of the White House. And, and it's crazy. What is Easter without Christ? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, you're a vet. Thank you for your service, by the way. And as you point out, many vets are Christians. And many vets are, you know, uh, Jewish or, I don't know, Muslim. There, there's all kinds of religions inside our veteran community and in our military community. And I would think across the board, one of the most, you know, uh, primary reasons people sign up for the military is to protect our constitutional rights. And that's fundamentally what we're talking about here, our rights to free speech, our rights to practice the religion of our choice. You know, it's the it's the First Amendment for a reason, and the free press is included in there as well. And all of these are under a sustained uh, cultural and political attack. I mean, what do you think that the veteran and military community think, you know, as a majority in this situation? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the Christian community, the veteran community, you know, just are looking at this administration and thinking we are constantly being marginalized and not really being respected for you said for our rights, our, our God given rights, the right to freedom of religion, the right. Really, if you take the whole First Amendment, it, it boils down to the right to conscience, that, that my conscience is what should guide me, not the conscience of the federal government or anybody else on the outside. And, and so th this government just, again, that's constantly under attack because they want to be the guide. They want to be the ones that tells us what to think and how to feel and who to worship and what to worship. And, and just look at recently the stories that came through. I mean, the Department of Justice actually, without a subpoena, without any court order, without any active investigation going on, went to credit card companies and to banking institutes and said, hey, we want to know anybody that did any transactions that had the word Christian in it, Bible in it, religion in it, prayer in it, and just a whole list of keywords that centered around religion, and all of a sudden you became on a list somewhere. So, so what is that all about? It's about trying to silence that group. It's about intimidation and fear, and that's just in, in our constitution, in our country, that couldn't be more wrong. Yeah. You know, Troy, as you, as you were uh, going off on that list of buzzwords that the uh, DOJ was telling banks to look out for, I couldn't help but flash back to Hillary Clinton talking about a basket of deplorables. It seems that it seems that the Democratic Party has basically thrown Christians and people of faith, regardless of their faith, uh, into that basket of deplorables. Now, uh, if you're a practicing Christian, or you're a practicing Catholic, which of course is also Christian. Uh, you are, you are, you are kind of suspicious. You you need to be looked at. We gotta we gotta check up on you because you're not worshiping the right God. And in this case, the right God, of course, is 
uh, is globalism and uh, big government and all that. Uh, that's green energy comes into play here. I, I, I think that a lot of Americans are waking up to this, but as you do head up the largest religious broadcasting group in the country, how do your listeners respond to this and how are your affiliates responding to this obvious open threat against them and their liberty? Oh, yeah. Look, pastors across this country are waking up to the fact that their ability to do what God has called them to do. And, and again, you said it's not just Christian pastors, Jew, Jewish rabbis and, and Islamic imams are figuring out that the country, this, this government wants to step in and be their conscience and be the one. So people across the country, I think we're hearing it more and more, and we're hearing it from from churches that typically didn't get involved in the cultural kinds of issues. And, you know, COVID was a wake up call on that when they were told, hey, you can't meet. And churches are finding out that, you know, maybe the government isn't really here to help. I think Ronald Reagan used those famous words that uh, everybody doesn't want to hear. I'm from the government and I'm here to help, you know. And I think people are figuring out that this government, particularly this Democratic led government, is really not here to help us, it's here to silence us. Yeah, absolutely, Troy. Uh, it's becoming more and more obvious to everybody. And, you know, a silver lining, you know, my co-host Steve here, he's always looking for the silver lining, which I really appreciate. And a silver lining, I would say, and I'll take your comment on this after a brief headline, but just to set it up, I would say a silver lining is that these sort of attacks are pushing young people, actually people of all ages, back towards more traditional uh, zeitgeist, back towards more traditional spirituality, back towards a more traditional um, constitutional mindset, you know, um, a mindset of family, a, a mindset of pro-2A, you know, pro-1A, pro-religion, all these things. It really does feel like at this point um, they have, they're bumping up against that, that human nature issue where when young people are in particular living in a world that doesn't make sense, they look for a way to rebel against it, even if they don't understand exactly what it is they're rebelling against. But this intuitive uh, human factor seems to be pushing a lot of people back towards broadcasters like you and your organization and us here at today's News Talk. Hold the line. We'll be right back. We'll take your comments on that after this brief headline with today's News Talk TNT. TNT Radio News. What the f For TNT, this is James O'Neill. The U.S. and British militaries bombed multiple targets in eight locations used by the Iranian-backed Houthis in Yemen on Monday night, the second time the two allies have conducted coordinated retaliatory strikes on an array of the rebels' missile-launching capabilities. Two motorists were killed, tens of thousands of people were left without electricity, and hundreds of trains were canceled Monday after the latest winter storm lashed Britain and Ireland with heavy rain and wind gusts that topped 100 miles per hour. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 
365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth, from government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. I don't know, Vladimir Putin. Wait till you see Troy, Steve, and I riding shirtless on horseback. I don't know. We'll see if we can give him a run for his money, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll let Putin have it this time, I suppose. Now, um, Troy, again, your website is nrb.org, and I would encourage you to go out there and check it out. Give it a follow. Uh, become a regular over there. Check out the broadcasting. It's an amazing platform. But Troy, what do you think about what I was saying before the headline there? Is is government overreach and clamp down like this culturally just pushing people in the opposite direction? Yeah, I really do think that's the case. You know, we're hearing from a lot of youth ministries across the country and ministries that work across college campuses that, that you know, these kids that have been fed this indoctrination kind of, you know, these Marxist kind of ideologies are starting to figure out when they get out into the workplace and stuff that that's not really the way the world works. That's not the real world. They're finding out that they've been fed a lot of kind of hopeless lies. And when you start to you know, have your own career, start to pay taxes, start to have a family, start to think about your children, you know, that changes your the mentality. And so we're seeing a lot of folks come over and they're starting to listen to Christian media, conservative talk media, and, and they're saying, okay, this is the answers I've been looking for. This is, this is the truth that's really out there. And it's not the lies the government's been trying to feed us or this elite kind of academic professionals have been trying to feed us. And so we're really hopeful that we're seeing in the, in the millennial generation that are now in their 40s and in, in their 30s, really seeing a mind change in that generation, as well as the the Gen Ys and the Gen Zs um, are starting to come around and say, ask questions and say, is the government, is, is this really what's good for us? Especially, I think recently I talked to one ministry and they said they were amazed at how many people are starting to question the whole green movement. Is this really the right thing uh, for humanity and for the world in general? So that's that's really hopeful. Yeah, Troy, I'll answer that. No, no, it's not. It's uh, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, green energy is the new golden calf. You know, I, I'm so happy that Hesher uh, brought up the fact that I look for the silver lining because I do. I always want to believe the best in society. And one thing I would point to, uh, Troy, and you can comment on this, we've seen in the last year several mass baptisms take place. Now, if I told you all of this happened in Mobile, Alabama, or uh, someplace down south, that would be one thing, and it is happening in these locations, but it's also happening in states like California, which you would not suspect it to happen at. So maybe that is a, a, a sign of a trend that's taking place. And to borrow a line from old John Lennon, uh, people are just looking for some truth here. Uh, and, and they're not getting it from the, from the mass media cartels. They're not getting it from our government, God knows. They're not even getting it from the Supreme Court. But maybe they, I guess they think maybe they'll get it from the pulpit or the synagogue or the mosque someplace where they can feel a little bit more connected to their community. And I know and I know the churches around uh, where I live are doing bang-up Sunday services. I mean, they're packed every Sunday. Are, are, are we, is this sweeping the country? Is, are we seeing this around the country? 
Well, I, I certainly think we could be seeing a start of that kind of revival. And I know of several of the churches that you're talking about out in California. And, and again, when you talk to them, look at California as just an example. Look at what's happened in the cities there. There's just a hopelessness. When you walk around San Francisco, you just a, a, a total hopelessness. Look, look at the drug addicted people, the homelessness, the crime that's going on in the, in the cities in San Francisco, L.A., all across the coast there. We've also have several churches in the Chicago area in Illinois that we've talked to that have seen a massive amount of baptisms, uh, again, especially of these young adults that are coming around and looking at what's going on in these liberal cities. And it, I really think it has to do with the fact that that there's just this hopelessness that you find from the left. The left doesn't give you anything to hope for. What do they tell you? We're going to take all of your money and we're going to redistribute it. Uh, we're going to not allow you to own a home. We're not going to take your energy. I think when you look at that, there's just a sense of hopelessness. And when you start to have a family you want and think about the future of your children. And I think with what's going on in the country, a lot more people are thinking about the future rather than today. And that's that, I think you're right, is a silver lining that I hope grows and continues. Yeah, yeah I do too. You know, um, one of the things I'm noticing sort of building on what we're talking about here over the last, you know, few years of just speaking with so many people, I, we speak with about 30 people a week over here at State of the Nation. And a lot of times when we zoom out and we drag the issues of globalism and technocracy up to you know the 30,000 foot view and, and we're looking down on it, we, we're asking ourselves, how do we fix this, right? How do we get out of this? And a lot of times when we really pull all the layers back, we end up somewhere that reminds me of the serenity prayer. Um, which starts out with, God, give me the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, the courage to change things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish one from the other. So a lot of times when we have these conversations, they end up with, honestly, I don't know how to fix it. I think we need to pray. you know. And that answer does bother people sometimes people you know very pragmatic and maybe secular people whatever will will look at that that comment and say i'm not interested in that i want to fix it i want my country back but we do lie somewhere in you know the the realms of the serenity prayer there so you know uh, we got about a minute and a half left um your thoughts on that how do we fix this question and as it relates to to that sentiment First, I can tell you what we tell folks, especially our broadcasters and people in Christian communications, uh, that second part, courage. Have the courage to speak the truth. Don't be afraid uh, of the cancel culture. Don't be afraid that the culture is going to shame you, uh, that it's going to try to marginalize you. Have the courage to speak the truth. And I, I think as individuals, we have to have that same courage. You know, this culture today puts so much peer pressure on people or social media pressure even today to, you know, don't engage in certain topics and, and religion is one of those, politics is another, just the overall culture. So have the, the courage to speak the truth. And the second, seek the wisdom, seek 
out the truth. If you don't don't take the talking points. If you've always watched one sort of news, listen to both sides and seek out the truth, and then and then pray about it, and and let your conscience lead you. We tell folks, look, I'm Christian. I'm unashamed Christian. You know, live out your biblical worldview. What does the scripture say? What does the Bible say? How should I respond to this? Uh, don't put your Christianity in a closet or leave it at home when you go out into the culture. Live it out in everyday life. So really, people just have the courage to speak out the truth, especially in the media and the Christian media, um, and then help people with the wisdom they need to make those right decisions. And I think we're going to see a lot more people um, really coming to that because I think they really do understand that their freedom, their individual personal freedom, not group freedom, but their individual personal freedom is under attack today. Troy, uh, thank you so much for joining us with that. I do think that as people uh, do get that sense of hopelessness, they're looking for anything to cling to. And I'd say there's probably nothing better to cling to uh, than the word of God and, and, and faith. Even if you don't have a lot of it, you know what? I've known a lot of atheists that go into a church and they come out and they're no longer atheists. So believing in something bigger than yourself that is not the government is key. Troy Miller, we thank you for being part of the State of the Nation. Find a... Uh, Find uh, Troy and all of his 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 folks over at nrb.org, nrb.org. That's nationalreligiousbroadcasters.org. Troy Miller, God bless you, sir. Thank you for joining us today on State of the Nation. Have a wonderful day. You guys, too. Thank you for having me. Okay, take care. There he goes. That's Troy Miller. We'll be right back with more State of the Nation on TNT right after this. Sometimes life can be overwhelming, and suicide may seem like the only way to relieve the pain. Beyond Now is an evidence-based app created by Beyond Blue to help you cope when suicidal thoughts start to appear. You can use it to create an easy-to-follow plan that is personal to you and includes steps like know your warning signs so you can act early, make your environment safe by removing harmful items, activities you can do or people you can be with to distract yourself from suicidal thoughts, reminders of things that make you feel strong, some of these steps might be tough to fill out, and that's okay. It can be helpful to make or share your safety plan with a trusted friend, family member, or mental health professional. You might feel like you're alone, but help is available. If you're worried you can't stay safe, use the red telephone icon to call your emergency contacts. Download the free Beyond Now app today to create your personal safety plan. While serving in Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today, I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now, my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful, that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better. DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. You're with Brian McLean and Steve Hook and State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
As Gavin Newsom and the Gavinomics team are working on California's budget for 2024 and 2025, some California senators have rather important commentary on the budget proposal. Uh, for example, um, Senator Niello, uh, out of uh, a Republican out of Fair Oaks, said, quote, Today the governor had his usual surplus of words to weave his way through a deficit of dollars. I'm glad that he listened to our warnings to take early action, but he could have heeded warnings and taken more caution last year. The question will be whether the governor's lower deficit numbers or the nonpartisan estimate is accurate. And our next guest said the following. Welcome to year six of Gavinomics, where his budgets turn surpluses into deficits and his policies push Californians to flee as the governor pulls revenue gimmicks and accounting tricks it's impossible to bury the truth. California is bleeding because of a decade of Democrats, one-party rule, and reckless spending. For years, Senate Republicans' call for fiscal responsibility fell deaf on ears. Meanwhile, spending more than doubled. Still, we stand ready to work towards a balanced budget that helps, not hinders, California. End quote. That's what California Senate Minority Leader Brian Jones had to say, and he joins us now. Senator Jones, welcome back to State of the Nation. So Gavinomics is a failure, and the California Senate Minority Wing is commenting on it in, in process. Right. But how does the 2024-2025 California budget look? Are there any improvements? Is there anything good going on there? Well, you know, part of our uh, responsibility as the minority caucus here in California is to be the uh, the uh, the party of opposition, right? And uh, polite opposition. And one of the things that we're trying to do is point out to all of Californians that this budget process that the governor has been ruling over the last six years just isn't working for everyday Californians. When I got elected to the assembly in 2010, the state budget was about $100 billion. Last year, it was $300 billion. I doubt that there's very many California homes that their budget has increased three times in the last decade. Uh, and if so, you know, good on them. That, that Congratulations. That's a, that's a very good thing. But it's not a good thing that our state government has grown three times in the last decade. And this governor and the Democratic leadership, leadership here in the Capitol are going to have to deal with that. And there's lots of areas that are really going to be majorly impacted by the cuts that they're going to have to make. And the Republicans are standing by ready to work in a bipartisan manner to make sure that we're spending not that we're spending better, not more. Right. Senator Jones, thank you again for joining us. It's great to see you as always. I I, I had to chuckle when I saw the latest uh uh, piece on Fox News. They were referring to an article from the uh, Los Angeles Times editor, Paul Thompson. I don't know if you heard about this, but it's it's pretty mind-blowing. Uh, Paul Thompson, editor for the LA Times, implored Californians right. that are leaving the state on their way out to not disparage the state that they're leaving. I was <laughs> going to bring that up too, so I'm glad you did. Yes. I mean, it's just so, it's like, look, we know you're leaving. We don't like you. You're probably a homophobe anyway. Screw you. Good riddance. Right. And by the way, don't badmouth us on the way out the door. I mean, you know what? Oh my God, that's desperate. This isn't a new situation, by the way. And I think I uh, even mentioned this the last time I was on with you guys. Look, the, the entire Rust Belt, North, uh, 
uh, the Midwest of America in the 80s experienced the same thing. Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Illinois, they all had a mass exodus that started in the 80s when uh, a lot of the manufacturers had to move out of those states because of the pressure that was put on them by the liberal politicians in those states. And that exodus in those states still continues. Michigan still lost even a congressional seat uh, under this redistricting or reapportionment in 2020. And that's 40 years later. And if my Democrat colleagues and the governor don't catch on to that, and start to study history, the same thing's gonna happen to California, and we're gonna be losing people for decades. The the, stu- the recent studies show that 800,000 people left California last year, or in 2022. That's 800,000, that's one congressional seat in one year has left California to other states. And if we continue to lose this population, uh, experts are already predicting we're gonna lose five congressional seats in 2030. And as that happens, that that is, showing the decline, the natural, well, it's not natural, actually, because it's all political, uh, the decline of the state, and that's very hard uh, to recover from quickly. Yeah, and I'm glad you point out those figures. You know, this is a really important thing, and it's like what you just laid out there, to me, sounds like a set of lessons learned, and that legislators and politicians could look at a situation like that and say, oh, look, they lost seats. They've lost uh, the seat of their economy. They've lost some of their tax revenue. They're losing voters. These are the kind of things you would think that your politicians in California, our politicians in California, would think about. But apparently the identity politics uh, are more important, um, the social justice more important, the spending more important. I mean, 800,000 leaving in a year is is pretty staggering. What kind of, let's talk solutions here. What kind of cuts are you and your colleagues proposing? Let's see if we can get some people to stay in the state maybe by giving some solutions. What do you got? One of the things that I'm hearing from my constituents that, that are just appalled uh, by the high tax rates in California, the high gas taxes, the ca- cost of housing, the cost of medical care, is now that the state wants to give free medical care to undocumented immigrants that are recently coming across the border. And this is a crisis that the federal government, the Biden administration has created on our southern border. But for Gavin Newsom, the governor, and our Democrat leaders to say that we're going to expand Medi-Cal to all illegal immigrants uh, under some compassionate flag that we're going to take care of everybody. First of all, it's false compassion. And second of all, it's a lie. Because even when you say that these people have coverage, that doesn't mean they actually have access to medical care. And the uncompassionate part of that is as you expand Medi-Cal to more and more people that are here in the country illegally, the Californians that are here now already on Medi-Cal are getting uh, pushed out of the medical care because medical Medi-Cal is so over uh, stretched. The reimbursement rates to doctors is so low that a lot of doctors have stopped taking Medi-Cal patients. So we can say all day long, the, my Democrat colleagues and the governor can say all day long, we're going to expand Medi-Cal coverage to illegal immigrants, but they're really not. They're just saying that it's a headline. It looks like they're being compassionate, but the, what they're really doing is shutting down medical care for Californians that are already here, have been here and have been paying taxes here in California. And they're really the ones getting the short end of this so-called compassion. 
they always run on this compassion flag in California. They do it on a federal level. They do it. Uh, and and that, I, I assume that's what accounts for the open borders. Oh, these people are just looking for a better life. But the compassion is a one-way street with them. It never right. goes back to the American people. It, it, right. It's compassion for, for you know, for thee, but I mean, for 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 me and, and, and them, not for you. Uh, right. Well, I, I would even argue, that, I, I would argue, Stephen, it's even a false compassion and it's a lie more than anything. Because what happens is, when, when you get the headlines out there that California is going to do Medi-Cal for all and we're going to provide all these benefits, that message actually goes out to the world. That's a global message, believe it or not. I did a I did a border tour uh, last month in December and spent an uh, entire day down there. And one the things that the Border Patrol agents are experiencing now with the immigrants coming across the border are completely different than two decades ago or even a decade ago when it was uh, poor uh, Central Americans or uh, Mexican nationals or South Americans coming up here for a better way of life, to earn a living, to work hard and become part of uh, the American society and maybe send a little bit of money back home. Now what they're experiencing is immigrants coming from all over the world, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Africa, West Africa, uh, China, Southeast Asia, all over Asia. They're paying these cartels in Mexico tens of thousands of dollars to be uh, transported, to get their access through Mexico and into the United States, to to what end? And they're being lied to that there's jobs, they're being lied to that there's medical care, they're being lied to that there's a better life for them here. When many of these people are being labor trafficked, sex trafficked, or other kinds of human trafficking that are going on, the only ones making money out of this are the Mexican cartels that own the southern border on the Mexico side. Now, here's what's the amazing thing about these immigrants coming from these other from the, globally from these other countries. They're flying into Colombia and they're they're walking across the Darien Gap, which is a canyon between Colombia and Panama that's impassable uh, without guides. So the cartels are guiding. And then they're walking through Central America and Mexico to get to the United States. And they're paying tens of thousands of dollars uh, to be able to do that. And so uh this compassionate argument does not hold up against the facts of what's really happening at our southern border and all through Central and Central America and Mexico. Yeah, Senator Jones, you know, I've been seeing this also. Uh, I think we might have spoke about this last time, but just to underscore what you're saying, there's a flight out of Istanbul, Turkey, that goes to Bogota, Colombia, seven days a week. It's full every day uh, between 100 and 150 and 200 people on the flight many of uh, African country origins, Middle Eastern country origins. Um, I, I, you know, I, I lived in Monterey, California for many, many years. So I'm very familiar with, you know, the, the people that come to work in, you know, the, the farming fields and things like that and, and that sort of community. But I just don't see that in, in the people coming here from, you know, the other 179 countries. And right. what do you think, like, what's the risk here? What are these people going to do after they discover they've been lied to under the, the flag of false compassion? Right. Well, I can tell you factually what the concern is. And the, the Border Patrol put out a bulletin back in the fall expressing very deep concerns about the, the immigrants that are coming across the border that could have terrorist ties 
Um, and we, we don't know who they are. We, they're coming without identification. We're taking for granted their word of who they say they are and where they came from. But even the Border Patrol, they've already put out, and, and we can send you the information on it, has already put out a bulletin saying that they're very concerned about this. They're very concerned about our cities and uh, what could happen across the entire nation of the immigrants that are possibly coming from these terrorist cells around the world. And you know, uh, S- Senator, what 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 really uh, upsets me to your very point there uh, today. President Trump stopped by a polling station in New Hampshire, and he was basically put somebody put that question to him: "What do you fear could happen?" And he basically came out and said, "Look, uh, the people that I talk to are telling me they're not overly they're not concerned about a terrorist attack they're convinced it's going to happen they know it's going to happen so uh, those are scary words but of course you know we reflect back to christopher ray testifying about a month ago saying i see red flags everywhere i look so they can take this compassionate argument all they want but uh there may end up being a lot of uh, a lot of dead americans because of this compassion not to mention all the dead immigrants that die on the way and are left stranded in a desert i mean every other week we're hearing about oh a 4 year old boy found in the middle of the desert uh by uh you know border patrol agents i just don't think right. this compassion argument works but they're not going to get off of it well, that the and look, that that's all of that is accurate. The Border Patrol has stated those things. They've put out facts and they've put out, you know, uh, information that is irreputable. And so, the what Americans need to realize, and and I don't know even who these people are that are advocating for an open border. Um, they need to understand that you know young girls are coming across this border and they're being sold into the sex trade in America. There's a sex trafficking slave trade in America, and that is nothing to be proud of uh, as a compassionate human being in America. So we're not creating a a comfort zone. We are not creating a compassionate, warm and welcoming home for these people. We're, We're creating a dangerous situation for people across the world coming to America. And this isn't the America we should be advocating for. We should be advocating for national sovereignty. We should be advocating for safe, closed borders. We should be advocating for cross-border commerce, which is San Diego and Tijuana are very good at, by the way. And we should be advocating for legal transactions going across the border, not human trafficking going across the border. Yeah. And, and thank you for that. You know, uh, Senator, Senator, your work on this is, is so important because so many people look to California, you know, I know California takes a lot of flack from the conservative audience nationwide, but the fact of the matter is what happens in California and New York tends to spread, uh, toward the middle of the country. And this particular issue, you know, going back to Medicare, I think you've really outlined a huge opportunity for California here. So Californians um, take heed and uh, you know, um, we got about a minute left, just a little less. So I'll need you to be brief, but what I'm hearing you say here is basically that the federal government is facilitating human trafficking. And what I say, what I call chemical warfare, the fentanyl deaths uh, up, upwards of a hundred thousand a year. So uh, your final comments on that, as we uh, phase out of this episode of state of the nation, sir. Well, on the, on the fentanyl issue, I'll just hit on that real quick. 110 Californians are dying every day. 
that's almost like a, a 737, one 737 crashing every two weeks, two 737s a month crashing somewhere in the desert of California. And if you if that was happening, you know there would be an uproar and the government would be doing something to fix it. And California Democrats and the California governor, Governor Newsom, refused to do anything meaningful on the fentanyl crisis. And we're going to keep pushing them on it. And the Republicans are determined to get some positive action this year and some positive results and legislation on the fentanyl issue here in California. All right. Thank you, Senator Brian Jones out of California. We appreciate you, your work and your expertise here at State of the Nation. We look forward to having you back on again very soon. Best of luck and stay tuned for the Misty Winston show coming up next right here on today's News Talk TNT.